Hi, welcome once again to the Classic English Literature Podcast, a show about the history and analysis of English language and literature. This is another bonus episode, or mini-episode, call it what you will, a sorbet to cleanse the literary palate. Today, black and white and red all over, the Exeter book riddles. Before we move on, let me ask you to please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on whatever podcast app you use. It will help others find the podcast more easily, and it will help me feel less alone. I'm a brittle man. There are also Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages you can follow to get updates and announcements. And also, if you've been enjoying the show, please consider helping to defray the costs of producing it by clicking the Support the Show button on the website. Anything you can give will bring tears of gratitude. Thank you for your consideration. So I know I said last time that we would be moving away from the Anglo-Saxon period and into the High Middle Ages and the Norman Conquest next. But then I thought to myself, Self, you've left a pretty gloomy impression of the Anglo-Saxons. Defeated heroes, funerals, lonely wanderers. Surely that is not an accurate presentation of the full richness of Anglo-Saxon culture. Well, dear listener, I'm afraid it is. They were, there's no denying this now, a lugubrious people, relentlessly fatalistic. The Anglo-Saxons, as we've seen, had two major modes of poetry. One, the heroic, which includes Beowulf and another war poem, The Battle of Malden, both of which are in some ways celebrations of heroic defeat. And two, the elegiac, the wanderer, the seafarer, the wife's lament, a critic whose name eludes both my recall and my googling, once said that elegies are the love poetry of a warrior society. That sits well with me. Romantic love or joy or any kind of pleasure at all, except for lost pleasure, is conspicuously absent from Old English poetry. With one exception. They loved riddles. Yeah, word puzzles. You know, like... What's black and white and red all over? A newspaper. <laughs> or a zebra blushing is an alternate answer. Or, as one quite disturbing first grader told me, a skunk in a blender. Charming little tyke. Riddling has quite a long cultural pedigree. We see riddling games in all sorts of holy texts, folk and fairy tales, ancient drama, for instance, there's the famous Riddle of the Sphinx in the Greek Oedipus myths that serve in Sophocles' play. There is Samson's Riddle in the Biblical Book of Judges, and the Riddles of Odin in Norse mythology. You may recall the riddling contest in The Hobbit, novel or film, between Bilbo Baggins and Gollum, in which Bilbo tries to trick Gollum into showing him the way out of the caves, while Gollum tries to trick Bilbo into his belly. I know I reference J.R.R. Tolkien and his work fairly regularly, but I do so because his work has entered the popular culture to such an extent between the novels and Peter Jackson's films and, at the time of this recording, a new series on a very well-known streaming service. And his Middle Earth has so many points of connection to Anglo-Saxon culture. The horse riders of Rohan, the Rohirrim, 
are generally recognized as the seafaring Anglo-Saxons relocated to the plains. The vengeful dragon who kills Beowulf is the original for the hoarding smog in The Hobbit. So Tolkien's a useful analog. Riddles usually come in two flavors, enigmas and conundrums. Enigmatic riddles involve describing the solution metaphorically, allegorically, or analogously. For instance, Bilbo's riddle, quote, A box without hinges, key, or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid, is an enigma because it describes the solution, an egg, as a box. Conundrums rely on punning, like what's black and white and red all over, relies on the pun red, the verb, past tense to read, and red, the color adjective, for its solution. So the pleasure of riddles relies upon solving the blocks, those elements of our common everyday thinking that prevent us from seeing the other ambiguous possibilities inherent in the language. We need to be able to sort what language is figurative and what is literal. We need to recognize the possibility of homophones, words that sound alike but mean different things. And what about good old innuendo? Intentional, usually a bit naughty, misdirection. Oh, the Anglo-Saxons loved a good innuendo. Now, in the Exeter book, that trustiest of tomes, we find 94 or 95 riddles, depending on who's counting and who believes where the borders are. We reckon there was supposed to be a hundred, but that some got lost or someone was quite poor at counting. They're written in the traditional Old English alliterative style and probably began as part of an oral culture before being compiled by English clerics in the 10th century. The other texts are often religious, but these devotional poems sit alongside riddles about nature and the weather, kitchen work, tools, everyday life stuff. And these were not just shallow pastimes like our Sudoku or Wordle fads. These were considered as seriously as any other poetry, because approaching everyday life from oblique angles forces a reconsideration of cultural norms. When the language one uses to describe the world meaningfully can be wrenched from its normal or expected contexts, when its inherent ambiguities can be exploited, even in wordplay, we are compelled to reevaluate what the world itself means or could mean. We can interrogate social relations, gender hierarchies, religious and political beliefs, economic relationships, anything. If language is the means by which we make the world meaningful to ourselves, and we realize that that meaning was made under certain specific circumstances, Perhaps that meaning can be unmade or remade. Anyway, they're also just a bit of fun. This is the audience participation part of the show. I'm going to read you several riddles from the Exeter book. While the text itself does not provide solutions, scholars have a general consensus. What I'd like you all to do is send me your answers to the riddles. I thought that'd be fun. Just pop them on the back of a $20 bill and send it to me here in the clubhouse. Please.
Alternatively, you can just post your answers on the InstaTwit book pages, or you can email them to me, classicenglishliterature at gmail.com. Now, I trust that no one will be treacherous enough to Google the answers. That wouldn't be quite cricket, would it? Excellent. I will award points for incorrect but wildly funny answers. Okay, here goes. Here's the first one. Often I war with waves, battle the winds, strive against both at once, meaning to find the ground wave-covered. Home is estranged from me. I am strong of struggle if stilled. If I fail, they are stronger than me, and tearing me immediately rout, wishing to whisk away what I must ward. I may withstand them if my tail is tough and the stones allow me to hold fast against unrelenting force. Ask what I am called. Okay, here's the second one. A moth ate words. It seemed to me a strange occasion when I inquired about that wonder, that the worm swallowed the riddle of certain men, a thief in the darkness, the glorious pronouncement and its strong foundation. The stealing guest was not one whit the wiser for all those words he swallowed. Here's a third. I saw four wondrous creatures traveling together. Dark were their tracks, their footprints very black. Swift was their journey, faster than birds flying through the breeze, diving under the waves. Restless it wrought, a struggling warrior who points out their ways over decorated gold, all four of them. And one more. I am a wonderful thing, a pleasure to women, useful to the neighbors. I am harmless to the villagers except to my slayer alone. My shaft is lofty. I stand over the bed, shaggy below, someplace or other. Sometimes a churl's daughter, proud-minded woman, quite sexy, dares to grapple me, molesting me by the redness, ravishing my head, affixing me in her fastness. She feels my forcing right away, she who approaches me, a woman with braided locks. Her eye will be wet. Okay, there you go. Please send me your answers. I thought this might be a fun a little back and forth, little parlor game here. I'd love to hear those answers. I'll be back next time with the Norman Conquest and all that. Please, again, like, subscribe, review, recommend. Please consider supporting the show if you like what you hear. Thanks so much for dropping in. Do take care.